for people that think it's too crowded, uh, t tell them to think about how many crime shows there are on television. <laughs> That's so like, true. Like, think about that. Like, there's a reason why all these crime shows exist. If they, if people weren't watching them, they wouldn't keep making them. There's sitcom. There's crime sitcoms. There's crime dramas. There's uh, reenactments of crime. You know, there's all of these different <laughs> sorts of crime shows. So mm -hmm. obviously, people are watching this content, and there's something about each one in its own individual way. So you just have mm -hmm. to find which which is your own individual way to reach an audience. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Golden Hour Podcast brought to you by the Polar Pro Studio. I'm your host, Dave Mays, and today's guest is Jacques Slade. Jacques has built an empire of over a million subscribers on YouTube talking about and reviewing sneakers. He's kind of defined as one of the godfathers of the YouTube sneaker community. He's been on the platform for over a decade now, has his own show on Snapchat, has been featured in several sneaker documentaries, and is continuing to grow his community and experiment with different types of filmmaking techniques inside of his videos. There's a lot to learn from Jacques, especially if you're a content creator out there trying to make it on YouTube, and you'll come to find that there's actually way more to Jacques than just sneakers. He really is a visionary, an entrepreneur, and a filmmaker who understands how to tell a good story and build a business. I can't wait for you guys to hear my conversation with Jacques, but before we get to that, I need to tell you about the brand new filter series from Polar Pro for the brand new iPhone 12 series. The capabilities of the camera system on the brand new iPhone 12 and 12 Pro and the 12 Pro Max in particular are so incredibly good and it's never been better. So Polar Pro has built a full ecosystem of filters, cases, and grips designed specifically for the new iPhones. You can now put a variable neutral density filter on your camera, meaning you can actually shoot at the proper shutter speed when you're doing video. There's an app called Filmic Pro that allows you to do really high bitrate recording, and it also lets you lock your shutter speed to get at that 180 degree shutter angle that you need for proper motion blur. The power of the incredible 10-bit Dolby Digital video recording now on these phones is truly incredible, and getting a variable neutral density filter for that camera makes it even more pro. In addition to that, you can also use Mist from Polar Pro that gives it that nice diffusion look. It's a thing that I personally love about the Polar Pro system with the new Peter McKinnon VNDs. It's all inside of this iPhone 12 set. In addition to that, you can also get the case that protects your phone really well. But the great thing about the case is it allows you to put a little grip on it that has a little button on the grip. It allows your hand to hold the phone much more like a proper camera. And the trigger on the grip itself is Bluetooth enabled, meaning you can use that to either start, stop recording or take a picture. And the great thing about it is because it's wireless and because it's removable, you can actually set the phone down on a tripod or leave it you know, on the ground, take the grip off and use it as a remote trigger for your photos. The grip has a quarter 20 thread on it so you can use it for a tripod mount and the case works with wireless charging and MagSafe. So make sure to go over to polarprofilters.com and sign up to get a free circular polarizer as part of the exclusive bundle with the new Light Chaser Pro system. All right, without any further ado, let's listen in to my conversation with Jacques. So I'm here today talking with Jacques Slade, and I'm a huge fan. Thank you so much for being on the Golden Hour Podcast. Thank you for having me on the podcast, man. This is dope. dope. This is uh, probably the most uh, sudden friendship that I've ever had. <laughs> you, fo you followed me on Twitter last week, and then I followed you back, or I think I was already following you, but I sent you a message. I was just like, dude, 
what the heck? And then you said you're a fan and I'm a fan of you. So yeah. like, this is awesome. Yeah, it, it only made sense. The synergies were there. They were, just, they were just waiting to happen. The subject of your channel is different than anybody we've ever talked to, but I think a lot of people can take away um, a lot of things that you've learned along the way on your journey on YouTube as a creator, as a musician as well. We'll get into that. Um, but dude, what is it like right now um, sitting at, you know, was it 1.3 million, 1.2 million, something like that, subscribers? Um you know, full-time creator now on YouTube. What's it like? What you know now that you've arrived at this point? Um, <laughs> gosh, I, I hate to use. I don't want to use the word arrived uh, because I still like. I feel like <laughs> I'm journey. just. I'm just really getting started. Um, it's you know, it's it's a surreal experience. You never expect that you're going to be able to live the life and be a creator. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. That's just not something that most kids grow up thinking that they'll be able to create for a job like you'll be you figure you're going to work in some office building um you know running numbers looking at excel sheets you know something something along those lines and <laughs> yeah. um so like for me it's it's kind of surreal that i like my job is to create things my job is to create entertainment for people and um it's it's humbling and exciting and scary um and it's fantastic and like it's hard and and it's easy uh, it's like, it's, it's, it's great. And it's terrible. Like it's all of these things <laughs> wrapped up into, in, into one, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. You know, it's, it's such a, it's really a great job to have. And, uh, I'm very happy that, uh, that I was lucky enough to kind of fall into this. Dude, I can't relate anymore. Uh, I feel like what we do is very similar. I just talk about cameras and you talk about shoes, but it's really uh, an amazing thing to, f to find something that you're just truly passionate about that you can start to just make your, your own thing and it becomes a job. It's such yeah. a weird uh, time in the creator world of things. Like the fact that we're just, rev you're reviewing shoes and I'm reviewing cameras. Yeah like 20 years ago that wouldn't have been a profession 10 years ago that wasn't a profession you know what i mean like, yeah it's true for, for especially for you with the shoe culture like it's always been a thing but it's really just exploded uh for the yeah. over the last decade i mean it's been incredible um let's get into that you know the shoe culture and and what that is now and um how you kind of got into that what's what's been your journey into the shoe world <laughs> uh i guess well i mean I, I think like when when i was younger i obviously played basketball uh, and so basketball was kind of my avenue into the world of sneakers you know i loved mm. I, there were kids in my neighborhood that were older than me like the junior high and high school kids and they had yeah. all the cool shoes and they could dunk and you know they did all this stuff on the basketball court and of course as a kid you see that stuff and you go oh man if i had those shoes i could do that too kind of thing you know? <laughs> it's <laughs> like uh, if i had that camera i could shoot right like peter mckinnon right 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 so you you, you <laughs> see stuff like that and you know you just kind of fall in love with all the outside outside parts and not really know about like the time that it takes to get there. Um, of course. And so I guess I just kind of fell in love with it just from like watching the older kids in my neighborhood do, you know, wear cool sneakers. And that made me want cool sneakers because I wanted to be like them. And then as you know, you get older and you start playing basketball and you're serious in basketball. And you're like, oh, I have to get this shoe because so-and-so is wearing that shoe or I got to get this shoe because it has <laughs> this sort of technology in it. And that's going to make my game better and, you know, all of those sorts of things. And yeah. so I just kind of stayed in it. And then in 2009, I actually started working in sneakers. So I was a journalist mm. for a sneaker publication. 
And I started writing about sneakers in 2009. And wow. then in 2010, um, I put up a YouTube video for them um, because there was there was content then, but like I wanted to try and push the limits of what sneaker content could be. Yeah. And uh, so back in 2010, I just I put up a put up a video and like people people took to it and it continued to grow. And then in 2013, I started doing it on my own on my own channel, and that brought us to where we are now, where it's my full time job. It's how I you know it's how I pay pay the mortgage. It's you know how yeah. how I do everything. It's how you buy more sneakers. Yes, how I buy more <laughs> sneakers. Yes, absolutely. It's an in, it's a cycle. Right? Yeah, a, oh, a terrible, <laughs> terrible cycle. A terrible cycle. At the time, uh, twenty ten. Uh, let's go back to then. What what was the sneaker content on YouTube at that time? Because I mean, YouTube in general was so different. I don't even know if there were that many people reviewing stuff at all. Really? Yeah, there there wasn't a ton of people reviewing stuff back then. There were there were a few people online doing sneaker content. There was like a uh, Fran. Uh, Fanalations. He was doing stuff. There was a guy named Sneak Geeks that uh, that I knew about back then, and I believe there was this other guy named Rich that was doing stuff back then. Um, but those those were the guys that I knew about. Not not that there yeah. weren't other, there may have been other people, but those were the the kind of three that were on my radar. Mm -hmm. um, and they were doing like you know like as content similar to what was happening back then in two thousand nine. Kind of very very authentic, very homegrown, uh, very like guerrilla style, like just with the camera yeah. in my room kind of thing, doing it. And uh, I wanted to kind of push that a little bit further. And so um, I wanted to create it like a news show. And so mm -hmm. I was doing like the the stand up with like in front of the green screen with the little box, you know, with the, <laughs> yeah. like the little the TV box here. Um, yeah, these are the new Jordans. Yeah, yeah, these are the new Jordans that are coming out. And like, that's how... <laughs> <laughs> I that's how I like how I envisioned it almost like an e-news or like an, an entertainment news sort of slant to it and yeah um, yeah no one else at the time was doing it like that and so it kind of gave me it, it, it differentiated me from everything else that was out there that's amazing what was it that spurred the idea to just do it yourself when you were working for that company oh well I started doing it myself because I got fired so that's, oh, that's so nice. Sad. I didn't okay. really have a choice to do it, but to do it myself. <laughs> but in 2013, there wasn't really like this path uh, that I wouldn't even say there's a path now, but I mean, there's at least people like yourself and others who are making a full-time living with it. In 2013, it wasn't like, you know, you know, what'd be a great way to make a living is uh, start a YouTube channel. Um, there were some people that were making a living, not in the sneaker world, but just YouTubers in general that you saw that were doing really yeah, well. Course. Yeah, yeah. And so mm -hmm. I guess there was always in my back of my mind, like, oh, I could do this as as a job, but you know, you just never think that it's actually going to happen. It's always like, yeah, I see all these other people doing it, but can am I that guy? <laughs> am I that guy? Am I lucky enough to be that guy? But you just went full in, huh? You just started cranking out what, like, one week, a couple yeah. of weeks. Yeah, back then yeah. I was doing. I was either doing one or two a week, I believe, back then. Um, it may it may have even been more. Actually, it may have been more because what I, when I started doing it by myself, my thought was I'm going to be a video version of the sneaker blogs. So the mm -hmm. sneaker blogs they were posting content every day, like multiple yeah. times a day. And obviously, you I, you can't do that on YouTube. It's just you just the, the capacity yeah. to do one thing and edit and shoot it and post it and all that like it takes is a process so i went took that path and uh i think so i think i may have been i think i started out at first doing one a week and then it went to two and then i might have at some point doing like three or four a week just delivering the like the news of that week of what was going on 
That's amazing. And what what was the response like? And how was how was your growth at uh, the beginning? The the it was it was slow churning at first. Um, I got really lucky uh, because because there wasn't a lot of video sneaker content out there. I was getting a lot of support from the different sneaker blogs because there mm. was there was just like nobody doing that sort of content out there, and it was unique at the time. So I was getting a lot of support. So that kind of helped keep my name in the circle, in the sneaker circle, so to speak. And so, <laughs> and so like it kind of started growing from there. Um, yep. But I think it took me, gosh, I want to say two years before I hit like 10,000 or something like that. Mm. Um, and then uh, it started to kind of start growing as it became more and more of a thing and more people started doing it. Yeah. That allowed me to grow. Like we all kind of grew together. Um, yeah. and that, that helped a lot. It also, I mean, it's such a, it's fascinating for me to talk to you, man. Cause like I'm in this niche, this camera filmmaking niche and in our niche, there's really some of the biggest creators only maybe even have a million or, or under, um, couple hundred thousand, mm -hmm. you know, I think Maddie Hapoya is about to hit a million, which will be great for him. But, um, it's just rare. It's just a smaller niche. I feel like there's less people interested in camera filmmaking. And that's what McKinnon did is he really kind of bridged the gap of like being a vlogger and a photographer. And um, yeah. it's not just pure tech, but it seems like in the, the sneaker world, there's just a worldwide uh, fascination of it and uh, appreciation of it. it seems like a, a good niche to be in. What, would you say that's true? Yeah, no, I would say it's true. It's because sneakers has like so many different aspects to it like if you're an athlete you're into sneakers because you're an athlete uh if you just <laughs> yeah. like sneakers you just like sneakers but you know and at the same time like everyone wears sneakers at some point mm. um and then as sneakers became more and more popular and became a bigger part of pop culture people i think people started to get curious and wanted to know more about them and like that's yeah. the beauty of like youtube is like you could be into just nike sneakers and have a channel that's dedicated to just nike or a channel that's dedicated mm. to just reebok or or adidas or or Saucony mm. or whatever it is so you there's there's like a, a channel or there's a lane for everyone not not necessarily saying you'll get the sort of explosive growth like peter um, i don't sure. think there's really anybody <laughs> in the sneaker world that has that that sort of peter like trajectory or growth at least not yet um but you know, you there are people with a million. There's a couple couple sneaker bloggers that have like a million followers, and so it's not yeah. it's not something like out of the ordinary. It's it's definitely possible. For me, it was actually Kanye because I'm a Kanye fan, and I'm sure there's a lot of people that subscribe to you that uh, maybe are similar to me. And I just kind of like fell in love with Yeezy, which like from the Yeezy brand. I became more of a sneakerhead because I was like, wait a minute, what's this world that I like? I didn't even, I didn't grow up, you know, with that. But once the Kanye stuff yeah. started happening, I was like, dude, those are freaking awesome. And then I was just started like learning about all this other stuff. That was, I don't know when Kanye started doing shoes. I guess that was what, six years ago, seven years ago, but uh, yeah, something like that. Yeah, would you say that, that he has influenced the sneaker world uh, and has, has changed a lot of it? Just that one guy. Is that possible? Yeah, I would say absolutely. Um, I don't think he's crazy. changed a lot of it. I think what Kanye has been able to do is bridge the gap a little faster mm. than it would have been. Uh, because mm. Kanye was a household name and everybody knew who Kanye was, whether you were you know, a suburban mom 
that, you know, <laughs> that wears shoes from JC Penney's or you're like the biggest sneakerhead in the world, you kind of had some sort of inkling of Kanye and who he was. So he yeah. was with Nike before and doing shoes mm-hmm. with Nike. He did a couple of shoes with Nike and then he had that big rift with Nike and decided to go to Adidas to do his own thing. And yeah. I think like the PR, the public, you know, the PR behind that whole move and everything that happened within <laughs> yeah. that move it brought yeah. a lot of people in to kind of see like what is it that's calling causing all this fuss what is all this all this noise about and yeah. that, and that brought in a lot of different people not necessarily Kanye I just think it was necessarily sure. he he just happened to be a household name and he was able to bring in a lot of people to to the fold yeah and, and obviously Michael Jordan is like that as well with his own yeah. line and uh, you know the history of the Jordans is what you know that's much deeper deeper roots on that than Kanye Kanye's, oh, Kanye's yeah. new um <laughs> but absolutely. yeah it's been fascinating to see like designs that I know Yeezy put out uh, a couple years ago, I'm starting to see at H&M, you know, and it's like there's for $12, you can get a, a Yeezy 700 <laughs> now <laughs> and like 700 ish. Yeah. 700 ish or 500 ish. All these chunky, yeah, yeah. these chunky dad shoes. Um, what did you think of yeah. that trend? I I think it's over now, but it still seems to be going on. Yeah. I think tri- it's gone. Dad shoe. I, I think the dad shoe trend has run its course. Um, <laughs> it's like, all right, that's enough. <laughs> yeah. No, I, and, I mean, it, to each his own, like it, it wasn't something that I was super into. Um, I, I didn't get any of the quote unquote dad shoes. Puma had one that was actually pretty, that was okay. That I really liked. Cause it had almost like a running shoe style aesthetic. Um, the Supra or whatever. The, um, the um, RS, the RSX, uh, the Puma okay. RSX was the one that kind of like all right i was like all right i'll, I'll go with that one um and I, I actually wore that one quite a bit just because it was a comfortable shoe but it had that sort of like dad shoe aesthetic to it i didn't get into the big bulky stuff um yeah kind of well but i mean even like now like i don't know if that fila one is still popping but that fila had a, like a, a huge run in that yeah. world like every girl you saw that was stylish yeah. at all had a pair of like those that fila dad shoes I used to live in Orange County and we'd go to the Irvine Spectrum and I would just see those filas everywhere <laughs> at the yeah. at the Irvine Spectrum. Yeah. Um I I got the 700 and I showed it to you cuz I yeah. I love the irony of it and the colors and just the boldness of it. It totally like fits my personality of just being kind of loud and crazy. So um and it's a comfortable shoe and they're so comfy boost is amazing except after yeah. you wear it out it starts to get kind of gummy and weird but um <laughs> you know this um you know i don't i haven't told you this yet but i actually discovered you from um a shoe documentary that i saw and you were featured in the the documentary um what film was that was that on youtube like a shoe doc or something or i don't or was it on netflix do you know what i'm talking about um, i don't i, I I've I've been in a couple of documentaries, so I'm not sure which one. <laughs> yeah, okay, well then, uh, I guess we can't pinpoint it, but I it might have been abstract. Be- it might have been abstract because that's the most popular one. Because a lot of people see abstract. The one there's, there's like a Tinker Hatfield episode, and I'm in the Tinker uh-huh. episode. Yep that that was probably it because um, I love that series, and it's yeah, it's an amazing series of uh, incredible artists. Um, I think I I saw some of your videos when I was just 
researching shoes before, but um, it was that documentary that I was like, oh, I need to check him out. And then I saw that you're like friends with all the tech YouTubers and uh, <laughs> gear reviewers. And I'm, and then, and I see you talk about stuff and I'm like, wait a minute. So are you a part of the gear tech world? Are you a part of the shoe world? You really, <laughs> I, I feel like before we start our conversation, you're like, I think I secretly want to be a tech reviewer, but oh, I do. Oh, <laughs> tell I me do. about that. I do. I do. I do. <laughs> Uh, I just think it's so cool. Like I'm, I'm so passionate about it. I love it. Like I, I started when I started making YouTube videos, um, like that, that was something I always wanted to, to kind of, to kind of do was like be a photographer. Like a photographer was something like I've always kind of wanted to do in some shape or form. So I started making YouTube videos and around the same time I got my first camera, it was like the T2i. Um, oh, heck yeah. And so I started, <laughs> That's a good one. I started shooting with that. And like just taking pictures and, you know, around the city, uh, I worked for the city of Santa Clarita for a little while, like as a, as a, nice. um, as an independent contractor, just going around taking pictures of like the events that they were holding at the parks so that they could use them uh -huh. for their like magazine that they would send out. So I did, I did a lot of that. And, um, as I started to get more and more into it, you start paying more attention to this camera and then you want to upgrade. Okay. <laughs> yep. um, and then you want to get it's the, the same cycle you're in with sneakers. <laughs> yeah. The same, the same exact cycle. Then, uh, then like, I remember like the 5d came out and then the, uh, oh, it was dude, the yeah. 6d and then the 7d, 7d Mark two. And like, you just, you like see all these things you're like, Oh, I got to get, I want to get on this train. And then like the, like the big thing for me that really started, uh, I think it was, it was like the 6d when the 6d came out and it was like full frame and it was like, okay, yeah. Like, all right, I need to, I started really, I started Step it to up. really dig in. Um, then from there, um, I think I went from Canon and that's when I jumped to, to Panasonic with the GH4. Uh-huh. For the first uh, kind of 4K mirrorless. Yeah. So it was, I had, it was I affordable had, too. I had a GH4 and yep. then I had a GH5. Another and great then one. Then I went from the <laughs> GH5, I went to the A7 III. And then from the A7 III, I went to the A7S III, which is what Heck I use yeah. now. Um, and then I also have an FX9 because I'm terrible. <laughs> nice, dude. That's awesome. Yeah, the uh, the A7S III has really been insane. I've loved uh, using it, reviewing it. I did a comparison with the Venice 6K on Indie mm -hmm. Mogul, and I was so surprised at how close I could get the color from the A7S III to match the $60,000 Venice camera. Right. Um, Sony doesn't claim that it has the same color science because I think they just want to uh, protect, you know, the lineup. But I, in my, yeah. to my eye, it's like pretty much identical, um, which is nuts to say that it can stand up to that. We also compared it to the Alexa camera and that one looks completely different because it's a, just a different sensor altogether. But still, yeah. it uh, is amazing what you can get now. The A7S III, in my opinion, is like, kind of the perfect camera finally like we've we've kind of we have arrived now it's like okay yeah. the next frontier will be like 6k 8k resolution you know maybe better raw recording you know in the future but uh prores raw is on it and that's really good but anyways you know this isn't yeah. a crazy gear talk uh, no but, podcast, that, but that's but... that's true that's i was i was th i was thinking about that like after the a7 at the, the a7s3 is pretty much what we've always kind of wanted in a camera. Uh, if you're a vlogger, if you're a photographer, uh, if you do videos in studio, it pretty much has 
everything that you need. Uh, you can shoot an S log three. Uh, you can mm-hmm. just go and you can, you can use the standard profile if you don't want to, if you're not doing any color grading and it still looks yeah. fantastic. It does 120 in 4K. You know, yep. <laughs> like there's like, it's like, what more bit. can you, yeah. yeah, 10 bit? Like, what else is there really that you do you want from a camera? It's sharp. Like, it's, it's, yeah, it's everything that really you want in a camera. Like, after the A7S three, like, it is, like, I mean, I guess really what you said is like, okay, now I'm going to shoot 6K or now I'm going to shoot 8K or 12K if you're black magic. Like, it's just like, <laughs> yeah, no, you know it's what I mean? crazy. I still haven't played with that one, but uh, I talked to my friend Armando. He said it took like 12 hours to export the 12K video. Oh, <laughs> so, <my laughs> but, uh, but Armando yeah, uses Premiere, so whatever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that is Final Cut users over here. Yeah, yeah. I st- I walked into Indie Mogul and uh, they're all Premiere, and I I tried it for like a week, and I was just like, I'm sorry, I can't do this. <laughs> so I'm editing in Final Cut while the other guys are are in Premiere, and we're we're making it work. <laughs> so, but um, but yeah, I think let's let's go way back here. I was just curious. I went on your youtube channel and i went to the date oldest and then i saw this Uh video called get your hands up and i was like wait a minute yeah ku's a superstar over here what the heck is that tell me about your previous life (laughs) as a rapper musician (laughs) yeah so when i first um my first goal was to be in entertainment in some way and uh, i wanted to be a rapper obviously so i did an album um didn't do very well um but music sounded I, I good did, though. I did shot a did shoot a music video for it. Um cost me like like two thousand dollars or something like that. Dude, that's pretty good for yeah. two grand. Yeah, back it then. It said it was thirteen years ago. Yeah, yeah. Right? Just hired a bunch of friends. Um, you know, I knew I I I happened to know a director, um, guy named Eddie Bowles. He was a he's a director and he was just like, Yeah, 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 I'll do it for you. He hired he <laughs> hired awesome. like the gaffer and all that stuff. And then all the people in the video are, are all my friends. Basically, <laughs> literally everyone is my friend. Um, the, the girl that I'm interested in is actually my girlfriend was my girlfriend at the time. Um, <laughs> her best friend, the other girl, her name is Terica. She, she's actually married to Antonio Cromartie right now, uh, the football player. Oh, wow. Um, and, uh, everybody else, they're all just friends, like literally just yeah. friends from college. So that's amazing. Work, I, yeah. The reason that I think it's a, an important point to bring up is uh, similar again, similar to myself. I was a magician for six years. I don't know if you knew that, but I was a I was I a that. professional illusionist uh, from 14 to my early 20s. And um, that's actually how I met my wife. She was a hostess and uh, I was performing at that restaurant. And that's how we met. So we met through magic. Um, <laughs> I, I did that full time. I performed at like three restaurants a week and I did a lot of like corporate parties and birthday parties and uh, shows and uh, was on track to have a manager and everything and go on the road. But um, I decided to to go the video route instead, and uh, I'm I'm happy I did. But those six years of performing, and you know, there's videos of you on stage performing. I think a lot of that yeah. is played into being a, a YouTuber. I think a lot of people underestimate the skill set of performance and um, and what it takes to be a performer on camera. Can you speak to that as a YouTuber? And you know, it's not just the review for you. You're also playing a character in a sense yeah yeah no and you're you're absolutely correct i tell people all the time that regardless of how my quote-unquote rap career turned out 
like there's things from that that I use now. Like you, when you're, it's just you and the microphone in front of a crowd, like you've got to turn it on. Like yeah. they're, they're there to see you entertain. And so for me, it's like, that's, that's what I'm doing. Every video is entertaining. Yes. I'm giving you information on sneakers and I love sneakers and I'm passionate about it, but I've got to entertain you in some ways, fashion reform. Mm. And that's what I'm doing. Like, uh, whether it's just me and a DJ or me and a band, like you have to entertain that crowd and make sure that they're enjoying themselves, whether that's telling jokes or talking to them or performing the song, dancing around, whatever it is, you're, you're entertaining them. And so I, I definitely pull from that experience of being in clubs with people that are drunk and not really paying attention <laughs> and going extra hard just to get people to notice what's going on. So yeah, I've, I've been there and like, I use that every time I'm on camera. It's definitely brought me a lot of skill and taught me a lot. Absolutely. I think um, I've, I've met a couple of YouTubers. I'm not going to mention who they are, but when you meet them in person, you're like, oh, dang, they're very antisocial <laughs> because uh, <laughs> it, it can be easy to get into this if you are a little antisocial and you're just in your room with a with a, a phone, you know, filming yourself and uh, and then you go out in the real world and you meet other people or you meet your fans and it's like, you're not prepared for that. But yeah. for me, you know, when I was 14 years old, my first job was, you know, going table to table, asking strangers if they want to see a magic trick, you know? And so that really gave me a lot of confidence yeah. and taught me how to, to speak to strangers. And it's hard. It's hard, right? Like if some, somebody comes up to you and says, Hey man, I want to do what you're doing. It's like, okay, well go be a rapper for three years right? <laughs> and right. then, and then, and then learn how to make videos. It's like, you know, I don't even know where to point, point them to. I've even considered maybe doing a course or something on, on performing and on what it's like to, you know, be good on camera. Cause I think, again, like we said, it's, it's a f art form in of itself. And the people who are the best at it on YouTube, like Casey Neistat comes to mind. Like, I don't think he would even say this out loud cause he might not even be aware of it, but he is so electric on camera and he's so, uh, his ch charisma is so contagious yeah. that you just want to watch everything he does yeah. same for peter same for potato jet you know i justine all these people have such a contagious personality and they might not even be aware of it right um you know what what do you have to say about that <laughs> no i i, I think that it's uh it's just part of being an entertainer you know that you see people exactly. there's certain entertainers that you see and you go oh there's something about that person and i think a lot of youtubers are a lot YouTube has allowed a lot of those people that you saw around that were friends or friends of friends or that you met at a party and was like, man, he's like, that's like, that's he's really cool. Like that's that's really, <laughs> like that's really cool. Like that, that dude's really cool. Or like, or if, if like if it's a family member, one of your friends, I'm like, dude, you should be on TV. Like, why aren't you on TV? Like, a lot of those people <laughs> have been able to yeah. find successful careers in YouTube. You know, the gates, the gate have been taken down and like now there's mm. opportunities for those people where before they may not have had the opportunity to be um to entertain folks or it was only an, on a local level but now with this yeah. it, it expands and now it allows that that charisma or character or personality or whatever it is that they have to come out and um yeah. they can pretty much do whatever they want i'm looking on your channel here about six years ago there seems to be kind of a moment where your thumbnail started getting more focused. Uh, you started really understanding YouTube, understanding uh, sneaker culture. And then all of a sudden you got this interview with Kobe. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about that, man. That was six years ago, yeah. 214,000 views. Was that the first time that you had 
a moment like that with yeah. with the celebrity? Yeah, that was my. I mean, I had done like group interviews with people before, uh, but this was the first time that I had like a one on one sit down interview with somebody. Mm. Um, Tell us about Kobe. What was that like? Uh, well, first, I was woefully unpre- underprepared. Um, it was just me, <laughs> literally me with two cameras and two wireless labs, no lights, <laughs> just trying to make it work. Uh, thankfully, um, there was somebody there that was recording it for Nike as well. And so they kind of like monitored the cameras for me to make sure that nothing happened while I was That's doing good. the interview. <laughs> um, yeah, just woefully underprepared. Um, so I would say from there, uh, is when I kind of find out like, I just like the nuance of interviews and seeing how when you talk to somebody that knows what they're talking about, like it makes the interview so much easier and so much better. Like Kobe was very, um, very knowledgeable about his shoes and just about marketing and all of those sorts of things. And so he was very engaging. He's, I would say absolutely the best interviewer that I've had, that I've had a chance to talk to. He locks in with you, engages with you. There's nobody else in the room. Like he literally makes you feel like it's just you and him talking. And like, that's, that's very, that's very rare. Like a lot of times you feel like you're pulling information from people, but Mm. with Kobe, it's literally just, it's just like you and him. I remember my very last interview with him was um, probably about last year around this time. Oh, wow. Um, And it was for this dream project Nike was doing where they were uh, giving these kids like their, their dream opportunity, the opportunity to train with like their dream athlete. And Kobe was one of the athletes. And after we did the interview and kind of talked about the program and everything, like we probably took, you know, just two or three minutes, like, Oh, so how you like, you good? Yeah. Yeah. I'm good, man. How you been? Like, everything's great. Yeah. 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 Uh, You know, I talked about the the cartoon that he was doing and the podcast that he was doing. I was like, yeah, I like it. I think you should, you know, I had some ideas I've been watching and I think you should probably do like, you know, I can't wait till you do like a movie and stuff like that. And he was like, yeah, those are, those are uh, some of the plans that we have coming down the line and the book that he had. And like, it was like, it was like a conversation of just like him, him and I just, just eye to eye talking like nobody, like there was, you know, probably 10, 15 other people in the room. And it was just him and I just, just like shooting the shit for like two or three minutes after the interview (laughs) was over. And you know, like that, that doesn't usually happen. Usually like you interview somebody and they're skirted away as soon as you're like, okay, cool. Thanks. You know, appreciate the interview. And they're like, and they're gone. You know what I mean? So (laughs) yeah, it's, it's amazing. It it has a lot to say about his character and how, you know, honest he was as a person and yeah. uh i mean you guys i get how many times have you interviewed him then uh th- i think three times have been him and i one-on-one so he's seen you and knows you and you know yeah you guys yeah are... like we he we 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 recognize each other in like a in a yeah in a public space yeah Wow, what a what a treasure for you to to hold on to for you know your oh, whole absolutely. life to to say that you knew the man and uh, you know he's yeah. going to go down in history as one of the one of the greatest athletes of all time and absolutely um, you know what a what an honor for you to do that that's awesome man yeah did what happened from that point I mean the fact that Nike did Nike set that up with you or like, yeah Nike okay. Nike set that up Nike set that up for me it's interesting how these brands have now slowly begun to understand how social media is is working and how powerful it is um speak to that and how like in a way we are you know in my case for camera companies and in your case for shoe companies we're promoting the product for free but 
also giving our honest opinion. And if it sucks, we're going to call it out and talk about yeah. it. But you got these relationships with these companies and you, you know, you're probably friends with people that might even work for those companies. So, but you then you want to stay unbiased because of the laws yeah. of, you know, the way this whole thing works. How do you navigate that in terms of, you know, not being paid off by a company? And I'm sure people accuse you of crap all the time. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, for one, I, I don't talk about anything that I don't like. So I've I've kind of I've made a decision where if if I like hate something or if it's just terribly done I I just don't speak to it. So the stuff that you see on my channel either I I, I like it in some form or I like something about it um, and it's just not something that, that I feel like is just terrible. Um, and that's just a decision a decision that I that I've made and you know it has its ups and its down. On one hand like I I don't I don't like, cause I choose not to bash anybody. Like that's not my goal to bash anybody or, um, speak negatively about somebody. But at the same time, people will think we'll take it as well. Like we need to know what's bad as well. And I get, and I understand that as well. And there's people out there to do that. And for me, like I, I, I provide a lot of that feedback kind of behind the scenes for people like, Hey, try this mm. out. Just doesn't work for me. Um, yeah. didn't feel right felt like it fit wrong. The materials are falling apart. There's glue stains, like that sort of stuff. I give that feedback kind of, kind of behind the scenes. Um, yeah. but I won't actually review it on my channel. Like if it's terrible, like it just, I, I just don't feel like it's worth it to put that negative energy into the world. Yeah. I totally can understand that. And I think when I was starting out, I didn't fully understand that. And now I'm starting to see, yeah. I mean, like there's people behind every product that comes out and there's also people who like that product too that um it, it might be a smaller group of people uh who might like that particular type of style of shoe um and they're making those shoes for those people and that's totally fine like it's very opinionated it's not a factual thing sometimes when you're talking about style and fashion especially yeah and, and so. it can and also kind of depends on the angle that you take you know what i mean um like i, I feel like gerald does a great job of kind of addressing everything as a whole and pointing out the good <laughs> and the bad you know and very that's thorough. like that's angle and but you know a lot of times you'll see people if something is something a particular thing about it is bad people will make that the focus. This is terrible. This is mm -hmm. this, then the whole thing is bad. And, and that's not necessarily yeah. the case. Like let's take the GH five, for instance, it does a lot of amazing things. Like the yeah. GH five is the, uh, Swiss army knife of cameras for the most part, it shoots 4k, it does 4k 60. You can do anamorphic, you know, you can do, you can ex go, go <laughs> external to, to 10 bit. Like you can do all these things with the GH five. Um, but the focus is terrible like <laughs> yeah exactly right but like legitimately the focus is bad you know what i mean uh -huh. and that's yeah right we're seeing that right now with the uh the canon r5 and r6 you know with the overheating issues right however uh <laughs> it is quite unusable i just did a review of it so all right oh, uh, see tuned, and, but, but if that yeah and that's the case like if it's unusable it's unusable yeah <laughs> for filmmakers it's unusable for photographers shooting an occasional video it's fine and right. if you want to shoot on the lower settings uh, the 4K settings and whatnot uh, is fine, but I wouldn't recommend spending four grand on a camera that you can only use half of its capacity on. So, right. <laughs> but those are things you can say, you know, and not completely bash the company, I guess. Um, yeah. And, and again, it's the how you do it. Like, it's okay to say something is wrong with something, but when you just take that as like an opportunity to bash the company, that's 
that's different and that puts things in a yeah. different light and it also like it almost kind of speaks to who you are i think as a creator um or as a person like if that like every everything has its flaws nothing is yeah. perfect you know what i mean even as much as i love the a7s3 like it's not <laughs> absolutely perfect like i like the fact that we have to buy a hundred whatever it is dollar sd cards in order to get the full functionality <laughs> of it like the cf express a card and then you have to buy a cf express reader in order for it for it just to even read the yeah. cards and and they're sold out everywhere and they're sold <laughs> out everywhere <laughs> and they're only in 80 gigabytes and 160 gigabytes and you know as much space as you know all i um codecs take up you know you like oh well obviously i need a bigger card than this i don't want to shoot for 13 minutes <laughs> you know what i mean so like you have all of these yeah. things but at the same time, it's a great camera. Otherwise, it's a great camera. And it's pretty oh, much yeah, the, the best all-around camera that you can get. So all of those things kind of factor into it. So here we are, you know, again, 2020. You've, you've been doing this for a long time. Um, you would be considered a, you know, successful YouTuber. You're making a living at it. Do you have people working for you? Are you are you all by yourself making these these videos by yourself? Do you have no, no, no. I have... Um, I have an editor that I work with, an uh, editor slash producer that I work with, and I also have a writer slash producer that I work with. Um, Amazing. They, I, I, you, I, I couldn't do this on my own. Absolutely. That's one of the reasons why I was so attracted to work with Indie Mogul is just the transition from going completely solo to having a team. It's just been so valuable, and it, it gives you so much less stress in your life. It's amazing. Um a lot of people obviously are listening and they're saying, yeah, I would like that too, but uh, it's a process and it, it takes time to get to that point. What was that point for you when you decided it was time to hire somebody to help you? Um, so for like the editor producer that I work with, I had been hiring him for like random things when I needed help. Um, mm-hmm. And it just became, it was just going to like, like be more and more and more. And it just made sense to to have him a part of the team instead of just hiring him out for every little single thing that I needed. Um, Mm -hmm. and it helped me kind of transition things away from me that I didn't necessarily need to do, or it made, it also allowed me to double up work. So if I shoot an unboxing video, he can start putting the timeline together and start the edit while I'm shooting B roll or, or vice versa. You know what I mean? And like now that time is being used for two purposes as opposed to just being used for one. Or if I'm doing like administrative stuff, he can be editing while I'm going through emails and having meetings or doing podcasts. You know what I mean? <laughs> he could be yeah. working, you know, he can still be like doing editing. And so like the, the, the work doesn't stop. The workflow doesn't stop for everything that I have to stop and do. If I'm taking exactly. out of the equation, he still be able to put stuff together. Um, so like, and like the writer that I work with, like we, we collaborate on the show that I do for, um, Instagram called what's popping. So mm. he, he helps, he helps with the writing. Uh, I do a show called hard pass. He helps with the writing for that just cause I don't have time to do all of those things in the, in the course of a week. Um, if I had to do that and, and shoot and edit and do it, I could just, I just wouldn't have time to, to be able to pump it out that way it's too much man it blows my mind there are there are people like casey who like <laughs> he still does it all by himself i think but i heard a rumor that he has a music person that like finds his his tracks because like no matter what video he puts out his music is always so on point it's it blows my mind so yeah he finds he, he finds some have... great music but even even like with casey he does all of it on his own but like casey had people doing administrative stuff for him like he mm. wasn't he wasn't doing a lot of that stuff. There was people doing that for That's him. That's true. And then he hired an editor. I know he hired an editor at one point. And then he had like um 
Brew, I forgot his name, the guy from South Africa. Oh, uh, Dan, uh, Dan Dan Mace. Dan Mace, like Dan Mace was helping him was with helping edits for shoot, a little yeah, while. Exactly. You know what I mean? And so like I think, uh, it, it all kind of plays you, into it. You get if to to grow and to scale your business, um, there's this point where it's like, okay, I, I need to like budget myself where I'm actually technically making less but I'm making an investment in the business by hiring somebody and that's going to further the, uh, further the business. Yeah. And it's more about the future, like the future of the business. And like, this is going to enable us to do even more in the future and earn more in the future. Hmm. What are some of those mistakes in business and entrepreneurship that you've, you've made over the course of your journey here on YouTube that you would want to share with our listeners? Um, I guess, I guess a lot of it was initially undervaluing myself, not mm. realizing what I was bringing to the table and, you know, just being, just being happy to be a part of the conversation kind of thing. Um, at a certain point that kind of starts to wear off where you're just happy to be a part of the conversation. And then you start to realize, well, I'm helping to like dictate the conversation or uh, I'm doing something different or there's value to what I'm doing or I have ideas that can help push things further along. And I think you have to value yourself and take the opportunity to be like, this is great, but like I have to, I have to kind of step it up here. So yeah. for me, that big moment was hiring a manager um, to help me mm. in hiring a lawyer. Like I would get these offers from brands to do stuff and I would just be like, Oh, okay, cool. Sure. $500. Sure. Yeah. Let's, I'll take it. That's great. Thank you. I could use $500. Yeah. And not, and not knowing that they were hiring someone else that was doing less work than I was that had less influence than I was, but had maybe a manager or a lawyer and they're getting paid $5,000. And you're like, wait a minute, how does that work? I remember, I remember I did a project where I shot some BTS for a brand mm. and uh i got paid it was a, it was a nice check by the, by the way I got, I got paid a nice amount for it um and i showed it to some friends that worked at agencies that did you know that would kind of do the same thing um and he's like yo how much you could pay for this and i was like oh i got i got paid it was nice and he's like just to let you know like if an agency did something like this they probably would have got like between 50 and seventy five thousand dollars <laughs> and I was like, "What?" <laughs> you already thought it was a lot. <laughs> yeah, I was like, "Are you kidding me?" And he's like, "No." Yeah, he's like, know. "Oh, he's like, oh, for this easily, easily." He's like, "At a minimum, we would have charged forty thousand dollars for this." Mm. Yeah, and I was wow. like, "Holy <laughs> crap!" I mean, the, you got to remember the the products that we're talking about here, especially you know this in the sneaker world, they're selling you know millions of these things. They're making goots of money like Kanye West was 50 million in debt now he's a billionaire so right <laughs> there's there's real uh there's real money behind this and it, I think unfortunately a lot of these companies take advantage of influencers because they know that it's just a scrappy uh job where a lot of these people are just coming from nothing and starting a channel and uh you know hey we'll give you a grand to review it and it's like cool but back in the old days you'd spend you know a hundred thousand dollars on a commercial uh, and they're taking that hundred thousand dollars and allocating it out to like a thousand influencers. Um, so, and, so and I get, and I get it. That's their job. Their job is to get, their yeah. job is to get you to create the best thing you possibly can for as little money as possible. <laughs> of course. That, and that, I mean, that's, and that's literally their job. It's like, how can I get you, if, if, <laughs> how can I get you to do this for free? That's that, that is the job of a lot of people in the industry and on the brand side. How can mm. I get this person to do this for free? 
Um, cause it's going to look one, it's going to look good on their bottom line. Cause they didn't spend mm-hmm. as much money in their budget that year, or they can use that money for something else. But mm-hmm. oftentimes they'll get you to do it free, but they'll pay somebody else. So like mm-hmm. at that point, it's like, wait a minute, like now I just feel like I'm being used and that, yeah. that changes the conversation. So what's your, what's your workflow look like when you get a new product? Say you get a, an unreleased uh, sneaker that, you know, you're under an NDA, it's coming out in a week. What's like, what, I'm just curious myself because <laughs> I'm in this situation almost every month. Um, you get, you get the product, you probably have less time than you wish you had with it. How do you develop a video that can stand out when now we're living in a world where there are more people doing this? You got to kind of stand out from the crowd. You're going to be one of a hundred other or at least a dozen other YouTubers talking about the same product. How do you stand out and how do you build your kind of template for that video? I think the the thing about standing out is you making sure you give it your own voice and understanding mm. who you are and why that company came to you for that product. Um, you like I, I see a lot of people trying to do what other people are doing and be like other people, but that's not why that company came to you. Like if you've been producing content one way and your particular voice for all of this time, and that company saw that and was like, "Hey, we want to work with this person." continue doing that. I'm not saying don't grow and yeah. be better, but continue giving it your own voice because that's what you that's what's unique about it. If you've been able to grow an audience because of your unique voice, continue using that unique voice. So for mm. me when I receive a product, I know that I the way that I approach things that you know, there's a, a bit of entertainment. I know I want it to look incredible. I know I want it to look beautiful. Um, I also know I want it to be educational. So I want to give some sort of context around it. I know I want to tell the story. I want to give the people reasons why they want to buy it, uh, why why it's important in the world of sneakers. So I try to take and pull from all of those things um, so that when I do my review or I do my unboxing, that it incorporates that stuff. And that's what people come to me for. Um, I don't mm. try to be somebody else that like, I don't try to be the super tech heavy guy. Um, like Nightwing, like there's a guy named Nightwing, Chris, who is just like a savant when it comes to like the technology <laughs> in sneakers and the, and how sneakers are made. Like he just knows that stuff. And mm-hmm. It's great. His content is incredible, but I know that's not my voice and that's not how I get down. So I don't try and be him. So I think it's all, it's all about, all about being you and kind of keeping your individuality um, throughout yeah. the process. Absolutely. We got, we got some of those people in, in the camera community as well. Obviously you mentioned Gerald Undone. He's kind of like when he first started, I, I was he didn't really land on what he was doing now. It's taken him a while to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And I've been, it's been really cool to watch him and he's really carved out it probably similar to Nightwing where it's like, he is literally the expert. When you click his video, you know that he's probably spent like two weeks researching the thing. It's like, you're not, there's not a second wasted. I have sent videos of Gerald's to friends of mine who are like, Hey, tell me about the new camera. And then I send it to him. They're like, this is more information than I need. <laughs> and yeah. they're like, but I like, I totally nerd out on it. And, um, and then you have people like Joshio from make art. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but like, he just tells these epic film stories about like, he'll take a product and then make like a short film out of it. And it's so cool. Yeah. Uh, but he's only doing like one of those a month cause he doesn't have the time for it. Um, it's, it's so cool. And I think again, when people ask and people who are listening, who are maybe considering starting a YouTube channel, often the thing that I hear is, is it too crowded? You know, are there too many people doing this? The answer is no, it's not. The, there's so many people interested in 
all sorts of products and YouTube continues to grow. It continues to take over television and replace television for people. And there's nobody like you. It sounds so cheesy and uh, stereotypical, but it's true. There's nobody on the planet like yourself. So highlight those things, those characteristics that make you unique. And I'm, I'm saying this out loud for myself too, because I find myself, you know, watching Gerald and and Josh and I'm inspired by them. And I'm like, oh man, you know, I could never do that. I want to do that, you know? And, um, every time I try, I just fall flat on my face, you know, cause it's like, I actually did, I did a review once where I scripted the whole thing and it was very Gerald like, and I showed it to Ted, my boss at Indie Mogul, Ted Sim. And he was like, dude, just be more Dave. He was like, I don't know what you did here, but it doesn't feel right. He's like, just be more Dave. That's why I hired you. I was like, oh, wow. And that was a good note. And like, since then, the last couple of videos I've done, I've really tried to highlight things that, that are more me. And, um, I think everybody should just think about that when they're making videos. Yeah. I mean, if, if for people that think it's too crowded, uh, t- tell them to think about how many crime shows there are on television. <laughs> That's so like, true. Think about that. <laughs> like, there's a reason why all these crime shows exist. If they, if people weren't watching them, they wouldn't keep making them. There's, mm-hmm. th- think about how many CSIs there are. There's like 8,000 CSIs. And, <laughs> and, it's all, and we all know the story of what's going to happen in those shows. So, yep. but, but they each have their own individual character or their own individual personality. And that's what makes them special. And that's why people continue to watch them. So I would tell the people, like, right. just think about, think about crime dramas. There's, there's sitcom, there's crime sitcoms, there's crime dramas, there's, uh, reenactments of crime. You know, there's all of these different <laughs> sorts of crime shows. So mm-hmm. obviously people are watching this content and there's something about each one in its own individual way. So you just have mm-hmm. to find which, which is your own individual way to reach an audience. My wife just showed me a YouTuber who she's a makeup, uh, creator and she tells true crime stories as she's doing makeup and i'm like that's brilliant and it's like blowing up her channel brilliant brilliant <laughs> you know what i mean that everybody you got to find what's your angle and what's interesting to you there we should a, start a uh, true crime sneaker channel true crime sneaker <laughs> channel this is the yeezy 700 did you know in in the 700s <laughs> in the 700s <laughs> that's amazing yeah um so we talked about uh, gear and stuff like what is go- I can relate to how you might feel in your brain like I've, I'm, I'm always making videos about one thing and my, my brain just can't stop but think about other things and I'm like I'm constantly balancing as a creative like okay I, I did some of these music video parodies and I tried that and it didn't, didn't go too well but I, I want to do more uh, I've got the superhero concept I've got um, you know, I want to do like a vlog or something completely unrelated to camera stuff. What is it about creatives you think that like you you told me like the first thing you said when we got on the video is like I wish I could talk about camera stuff. You know, like what is it? It's like you've you're you're making a living doing sneaker stuff. You love sneakers. I love camera stuff, but like as a creative, I can't help but want to like play around in other avenues and stuff i don't know i think that's just the nature of being a creative like you want to just create and see what see what's possible um and you and you also don't want to pigeonhole yourself i guess you know you you want to do make sure you don't lock yourself in and then that's all you're known for like for me that was a big thing i don't want that i don't want that to that all to be the sneakers be the only thing that i'm known for so like i use so uh, i want to at, at some point do like a late night talk show 
So mm. I started doing hard pass where I'm sitting at a desk and just talking, kind of talking to prompter and telling jokes and stuff like that. Um, but it's, it's through the lens of sneakers. So mm-hmm. that with that, that'll allow me to eventually, if I want to transition away from sneakers, it'll show people, Oh, he can sit down and talk about anything. He can sit down and talk to prompter. Um, yeah. I've done standups. Uh, I've, I've been hosting events. Like I do, I try to, I try to utilize sneakers to reach those creative outlets. So sneakers is, I mean, tech is the only thing that I haven't really found a way to kind of really incorporate into the sneaker world. And I'm just kind of just forcing it out there, just putting it on my channel, whether people watch it or not. So uh, like the Xbox, like I have the Xbox Series X and the Series S. And so I'm doing content on it. And it Mm -hmm. it probably does a 10th of the views that I would get on a sneaker (laughs) video. But I'm putting that energy out there because I want it to be known that I'm passionate about this and that I can talk mm. about this. Um, so I, I guess it, it's hard to to fight that urge. Like I still want to do music, so that's something that bothers me. You know, yeah. I want to I want to shoot a film. I want to write a sitcom. Like there's all these things that I want to do, and I feel like there's no reason to limit myself. I think if anything what we've been able to accomplish you 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 included what we've been able to accomplish on youtube so far lets us know that if we want to do something that the opportunity is there we can get out there and do it we yeah it, the only person holding us back is is us so hmm. that's that's kind of way i look at it yeah man that's when i started too it was like all about entertainment and finding a way to just make it entertainment so that if for some reason some producer sees it they can kind of see through the product review aspect and be like, you know what, Jacques can actually perform on camera. So let's give him a shot, you know, at a talk show or whatever. Um, However, you know, here we are reaping the benefits of the new, you know, medium, which is YouTube. You know, I don't know if I want to, like I've heard David Dobrik say, like he wants to get on television and stuff, but it's like, yeah, he's got, he has 10 million followers that watch everything he does now on YouTube it's just a weird blend where still Jimmy Jimmy Kimmel gets, you know, on trending because, you know, it's NBC and it's got 700,000 views and you're getting 7 million views on uh something else that you know, it's like it's it it's weird how the world works but yeah, so like I I think about that a lot and I think a lot of it is because traditional television um even though I always tell myself literally I'm like Jacques don't stress it. You're doing well. Like Jacques, you're fine. (laughs) Like literally talking to myself, Jacques, don't worry, Jacques, you're great. But there is still something that there's an appeal. There's a magic to television. Mm. You know what I mean? There's Mm. a magic to being in that space. And I I don't know if it's just the, um, the, uh, the approval of like my parents, (laughs) you know what I mean? Yeah. So I like, I think that that is just the goal. It's kind of, it still remains the gold standard. It's where where you mm-hmm. kind of want to end up. I think for me, the ultimate, and I and I go back and forth about this all the time, is <laughs> that I want to be able to bridge those worlds. I want to be able mm-hmm. to be on TV and do like do like a sitcom, but also have like my YouTube channel and do those things there. Um, mm-hmm. Although I'm not sure those two worlds can fully exist together. Um, yeah. I think it's almost one or the other. Like Will, Will does a great job of kind of bridging that gap but I, I also kind of feel like the buzz of him digitally is dying out and kind of losing. You're talking about its Will steam. Smith, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and losing and losing its steam. 
Um, and like everyone that's kind of come to the platform that's trying to do it in an authentic way, like it pops at first, but then you kind of lose people lose interest and yeah jack black even yeah yeah jack black they even like kevin james uh i love what yeah. kevin james is doing um but it's kind of unique to him i think they if they find something that's unique to them that's mm -hmm. what's going to make it special as opposed to trying to do what everybody else is doing i feel like that's the thing with will i feel like will's doing what everybody else is doing um mm. but at a, at a higher production level obviously um <laughs> yeah but yeah, if like finding what's unique to Will, once once Will and his team find out what's unique to him, mm. I think that is going to be where his sustainability happens versus yeah. everybody watching him just because he's Will and he's a celebrity. Now, there's there still needs some, to be something unique about him that I think um, people need to, that what people will, um, will be attracted to and want to be a part of. Yeah, Steve-O has done a pretty good job too uh, uh, from Jackass. I think he's kind of been all over YouTube as well. Like he'll just like sit there and tell like some crazy story, uh, which is pretty great, but yeah. it's, it's a different, it's different though. I mean like YouTube stars and traditional film stars are, uh, it's still, it, it does have this weird prestige of like, I'm a Hollywood actor. And then, um, every time a YouTuber is on a late night talk show, they're like, they're, it's almost like, uh, so tell me, you make YouTube videos for a living? Yeah. You know, like that, yeah. That's the, hopefully that's, that's, that's changing. I, I feel like that's changing and people are starting to, <laughs> yeah, to be less like, so in, what's a, what's the YouTube? You know, like, yeah. how, how do you, how do you I, make the money on the YouTube? <laughs> like, I think that well, that sort of stigma is leaving and people start to seeing it as a, as a, yeah. as a real career um, because it is a real career um, and a real job. And especially during the pandemic, a lot of these late night hosts had to learn what being a YouTuber actually is because yeah. they became YouTubers. Yep, essentially. Essentially, <laughs> essentially, they became YouTubers, yeah. Yeah. So I think we're coming to a close here. It's been an hour. Uh, I really, really appreciate your time. This has been a blast. We got to hang out. We got to do an Indie Mogul collab or something. I would be love to do some stuff on Indie Mogul. We like, should I get grew, like I grew, a... Like I, I watched Indie Mogul at the very beginning of when I was... Um, starting to create and learning how to edit and learning how to do wow. green screen indie mogul was where a lot of that information came from like backyard effects was my shit oh heck yeah um yeah dude that was when they asked me to be on it was just such an honor because exactly like you said i mean it, it the brand and the recognition of that uh channel is just insane it was like one of the first youtube channels on youtube really it's like 13 years old it's yeah. crazy although you have a video that's 13 years old so you've you've been on it for a while yeah i've been on um, it for a while but I, I didn't know what i was doing <laughs> i didn't know what i was doing but uh yeah maybe we could come out to your studio or something and like set you up with something or i don't know we could we could we'll figure something out you got the new uh, fx9 so maybe we could do something with that i don't know yeah i'm down do you do all your thumbnails uh yeah not very well though yeah i, was, <laughs> I, was... I feel like there should be a website for people who like apply to be youtuber thumbnail editors it's like it's a specific set of skills you can't if you come in being a graphic designer and you like follow the rules of graphic design and art that's not how it works <laughs> it has to be cringy bright loud crazy yeah loud crazy attention grabbing all this all the stuff that you're told not to do when you create something, <laughs> that's what it has to be in order for exactly. it to catch the eyes of a YouTube audience. Well, Jock, thank you so much for being on the Golden Hour Podcast. Everybody go follow uh, Jock on Twitter. That's how we became friends. What's your handle again? It's not your uh, name. No, it's it's Kusto, which is K-U-S-T-O-O. -O, and that's on Twitter, yes. Instagram, Snap. If you're on Snap, that's follow right. me on Snap. I actually have a, a show on Snapchat called The mm. Kickback. 
Um, Heck yeah. Yeah, I'm ev- everywhere. Is, everywhere is Custo. If you want to find me, it's all. It's always under Custo. K U S T O O. Awesome. What's the relevance of that? What, what's the name there? I'm sorry, I don't know that. Uh, so Jacques Cousteau, he was a uh, deep sea under uh, uh-huh. diver, a uh, French uh, diver, uh, oceanographer, I should say, actually. Um, yeah, I know who he is. Yeah. So, so it's it's a, a meme of your, your name. Yeah, yeah. Basically, it's a meme <laughs> of my name. Like I wanted to be, when I was a rapper, I rapped under the name Cousteau or KU. Um, oh, okay. Because, you know, it just made sense because my name was Jacques. I didn't have to really think about it. Um, and so it's kind of stuck. And so when I started getting on the internet and started making like my screen names, I just used Cousteau, K-U-S-T-O-O. And so (laughs) I just use that for everything now. I just hold on to it and I just put my name Jacques, but I don't, I don't really say Cousteau very, very often anymore. It's very rare that I say Cousteau. I usually just say Jacques, but a lot of people that, um, know me from the internet know Uh me by my screen name. <laughs> yeah, so they're like Custo or Custu just because I thought I was cool spelling it like that, but yeah. Okay, so everybody go follow him at Custo. Yeah, yeah. Awesome, yeah. dude. Thank you so much, Jacques, for being on no problem, again. Man. And uh, like I said, we'll have to do a little indie mogul collab soon. For sure. Let's do it. Thanks again, Jacques, for being on the podcast today. Once again, this is the Golden Hour Podcast brought to you by the Polar Pro Studio, and we'll see you next Tuesday.